Well, we're uh, beginning a new series today called Be Generous. And I don't know about you, but uh, anytime that you talk about money in the church, everybody kind of cringes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it, it just is something that you're like, oh, no, here we go. And I get it, too. Like, there are some of you that you joined us last week for Easter, and you're like, oh, I was so excited. And then you're like, okay, be generous. And then you get here, and you're like... Oh, I get it. This is where they like the bait and switch tactic, you know? And uh, really, I don't think that's the goal at all. And at the very end of the message, I'm going to kind of show you a handful of things that maybe you've been taught over the years is why that makes us cringe. But I'll tell you that generosity and giving is something that, that God deeply cares about. Matter of fact, let me just give you about 15 or 20 seconds and think about the most generous person you know. Like, who is the most generous person you know? Every time you see them, they're blessing someone. Every time you see them, they're either buying somebody's coffee or their dinner or they're doing something for someone that's such a blessing. Think about it, okay? It's going to be a little awkward in here. It's going to be a little silent. But think about the most generous person you know. And most of you are like, I cannot stand the silence, right? the most generous person you know. Well, for Kelly and I, we happen to have a couple that from the very onset of our church, uh, matter of fact, in Matthew chapter six, um, we are we are called to not worry about financial things. And you'll see it a little bit mentioned uh, later, mentioned in Luke chapter 12, a similar passage. But God gave me a promise before we ever started Stone Point. And the promise was, is that I would always have a place to lay my head and that we would always be provided for as a family. And so reading that text, I remember specifically God speaking to me and my heart in that, that moment, about four to five months before we set out on the final adventure. All the plans were made. We had already kind of started the groundwork of starting Stone Point, but God reassured us when, we, when I read Matthew 6 and he said, you'll always be taken care of. And I thought about that and I was like, okay, God. And he gave me that confirmation. But since we started, there's been one couple that is the most generous couple that I've ever met. Um, they have blessed Kelly and I beyond measure. They um, have made it possible for us to, to live within our means, but not have to worry about finances. And so it's almost seems like almost every month or every other month, they'll send us $20 in the mail or like at Easter, they send us a card and at Easter, it just had a hundred dollar bill in it. And um, about a month and a half ago, our uh, washer, I mean, our, our uh, yeah, our washer in our house was starting to go out. And so they said, hey, we want to take you to Lowe's and we want to buy you the washer that you want. And so they bought us a washer and they are the most generous people that I've ever met. And uh, truly, they're life-giving and life-changing. And you start asking the question, like, why are they that generous? Like, why, why do they do that? And then we start thinking about, does God really even care about generosity? And I'll tell you this, um, there's a lot of things that we think that God speaks about of the Bible, but one of them that he speaks about a lot is generosity and giving. Matter of fact, think about this, forgiveness. Like, that's a pretty important concept, okay? Jesus, and uh, he talks about forgiveness a lot, but in the Bible, forgiveness is mentioned about 109 to 120 times. Then you go, okay, that's a really important thing. But what about like belief? Jesus says, believe in me. And yet you die, you will always live. You know, he says, you know, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he talks about belief. But belief is mentioned 259 times throughout the whole Bible. 
And then you think about, okay, forgiveness, belief. Well, surely he talks about prayer far more than he does forgiveness or belief. And so for some of you, like, oh man, he mentions prayer a lot. How many of you in here, right, raise your hand, do you think that, that God talks about prayer a lot? Okay, raise your hand. Like, okay, yeah, I think. Some of you are like, I have no idea, man. Why are you doing that to me? Um, he talks about prayer 316 times throughout the Bible. That's praying or prayer or prayerfulness. But what's interesting is, is you can take all of those things. Um, you can take forgiveness. You can take prayer. You can take belief. And they still do not match the over 1,400 times that God talks about giving. Over 1,400 times he talks about giving. And the question then becomes, well, if giving is so important to him, why is it important? And that's the question that I began to ask myself is, why is it that this couple continues to bless us? And I know, here's what you naturally assume. Like, here's what I naturally assume. I'm like, well, they got a stash of cash, you know? Like, they got tons of money in their bank account, and they just need to, they're just bored. They're getting older, and they just need someone to give it to. And they just thought, hey, why not Brandon and Kelly? And I thought, no, I don't think that's it though. And so I started reflecting on like, why do they bless us the way that they bless us? Why do other people, because even as I look across this room, I know there are families in here that have blessed us in more ways than I can count. And the question is, why, why do you do it? Why do we do it? Do we do it because we just have to? And I thought, no. Do we do it because we have a ton of money in our bank account? No. And so here's why we do it. There's three reasons. The first one is because generosity reflects the heart of God. It reflects who God is. And it's not just who God has become, but it's who God has always been. Matter of fact, you remember in the creation story, in Genesis chapter 2, you're seeing this outline of what creation looks like. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8, verses 9, verses 15, and verses 18, you see a reflection of God and his character. Because here's what creation was. Creation was God speaking the world into existence, but then also bestowing his benevolence and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness to mankind. And before we kind of came along and really messed it up, look at all the things that God did for us. In Genesis chapter two, verse eight and nine, it says, and then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every kind of tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. And so here it is that God has bestowed all things to man. And I don't know if you realize or not, but in the beginning, we were the vice region of God. Now, the vice regent of God literally is like the vice president of the United States in a sense, like oh, you're the second in command. And so here it is, God in all of his goodness, in all of his generosity, and he chose us in his image, man, to not only look like him, but to reflect him to everyone. And the reason we reflect him is because we are the second in charge. Like we are above the angelic realm. We are in created in God's image. And he says, and I want you to care for all things. And he says, you have everything under your subjection. All, all of the garden is under your care. You were to, to, to toil and labor for it, although it wasn't toiling and laboring. It was something we enjoyed. We had this relationship with God that was unique. We had perfect. We could come, we could go. And Adam and Eve had all that they wanted. All that they could ever dream of was at their hands. They were the vice region of God. Matter of fact, look at this in verse 15. It says, and the Lord God took man. And he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. 
Verse 18 says, and after man is working and keeping all the birds of the air, all the fish of the sea, all the reptiles that go around the ground, and even the cattle on a thousand hills, all of them come under subjection of Adam. He realizes I've done everything there is for creation. I've made sure that every single animal has a mate. And yet I see that the one that's made in my image, the one that I love, who has a relationship with me, he still needs something. And in verse 18, you see that God looks down and he says, and the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, fit for him. Now, I don't know about you men, but my wife is the best thing that God has ever given me. And the reason why is most of you are like, oh, Brandon, man, you got such an awesome ministry. And my, my ministry is awesome simply because God gave me a woman fit for me. She knows me. She understands me. She's gracious with me because I need grace. And God did that for me. And he's done that for many of us. And what's interesting is, is creation speaks of God's goodness. And then here we are, we messed it up, right? And why did we mess it up? Listen to this. We messed it up because here's the intrinsic part of our flesh. This couple who blesses us month after month after month, literally for five years, if not too long into it, you start going, man, they blessed us last month with $300. I wonder if this next month they'll bless us with $600. And you begin to think if they are so good and benevolent and they're kind, then if, if they're really good, then when are they going to unlock everything to us? I mean, when are they going to give us stock and are they going to leave their house to me? And you go, well, that's foolish. That's stupid. That's, that's greedy. But see, that's the question that was posed in the Garden of Eden. See, when the deceiver came, he came and he said, you believe that God is good and benevolent, but if God is good and benevolent, then why would he give you all these things but not give you the keys to the bank account? Why would he leave out this one tree in the garden? And we assume that, that God leaves it out because he's really not good and benevolent and he really didn't create a good, benevolent, and perfect creation. But see, in that good, benevolent, perfect creation, he gave us a choice. And our choice was what? That instead of believing that God was good because he's entrusted so much to our care, that God must not be good because he has not unlocked everything to us. And so he's withholding something from us. Do you see that? That would be like me going to the most generous person I know and saying, I don't believe that you're as generous as I first thought because you've not given me all that you have. And you would go, that's ludicrous. But that's what happened in the garden. And so then the fall of man comes. And I don't know if y'all realize the fall of man, but then because of the fall of man, you get curses. And so here's the first curse. It means that you're not going to live forever with God in the garden of Eden. It means that now you're booted out of the garden of Eden. Now you're going to have to experience death. And so many of us in here have experienced death, sorrow, hurt, crying, pain, all those things assumed from death. Why? Because we questioned God and his goodness. We wanted more of what we claimed he had and he was withholding from us. And then not only that, ladies, you've experienced childbearing pain. Yes, thank you, Adam and Eve, right? And then not only that, all of us in here, we have the dreaded question of, do I have to go to work tomorrow? Because used to, toil and labor in the garden was a joy. And now toil and labor is like, I don't want it. And the only reason we do it is because we need, right, to what? Live on. But we hate it. All of us are going, oh, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. It's toil and labor. It's all part of the curse. But see, God didn't just display his benevolence in creation, but even after we ruined it, he experienced it recreation. 
Matter of fact, look how generous God is. This is a verse that you've heard many times. Matter of fact, it's one of the verses that if you looked at over the 1400 verses talking about giving, this is one of the verses. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. What? Look at that word. Say it with me. Okay, hold on. I, I know that was a tricky question. Hold on. <laughs> let, let me try that one again, okay? God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Wait a second. A benevolent God who gave but didn't give us everything, now is giving us everything? Yes, because that's the heart of God. The heart of God was never to withhold from Adam and Eve something because he wasn't good. The heart of God was to withhold something from them because he was in fact good. And he didn't want them to experience death and pain and turmoil and all the things that we now experience, sin and labor and uh, childbearing pains and all those things. All those things are a part of the fall and curse. But God says, but I can yet restore you through my son. And so he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would what? Not perish, but have eternal life. And what's interesting is, this is extra. Okay, I won't charge you for it, but this is extra. In the end, God tells us in Revelation that there's going to be a wedding feast. And the, the picture is, is that we're going to be rightfully restored. And we're going to be rightfully restored in this way, that he, Jesus, is the bridegroom and we, the church, people who believe in him are the bride. And he says, and there's going to be a great wedding feast and there's going to be a celebration and we're going to be reunited and we're going to be married for all of eternity with a perfect husband, the bridegroom, Jesus. And what's interesting about that is then we are going to what? Be restored to the vice regency of God. What creation originally spoke of is what we're going to be returned to in the end. And right now we don't experience that. We feel like, oh God, you've let us down. But in fact, he hasn't let us down. He's given us the story of recreation that we could be made right again before a holy God, not in and of ourselves, not because we're good moral people, not even because we go to church or give to church or because we become somewhat generous people, but because of Jesus and the generosity of God, we can be restored back to right fellowship with him. And in the end, all things are made perfect. And we are again, the vice regents of God. The Edenic covenant, what was established originally for Adam and Eve will one day be true for us too. And we'll rule and we'll reign with God forever. And that's because that's the heart of God, a generous, life-giving God. But here's the crazy thing is, is that as we begin to understand who God is and it reveals his heart and his character, as it reflects who he is, guess what? It begins to reflect and reveal who we are becoming. Do you understand this? For instance, um, in Luke chapter 12, you see this incredible story and it's this idea of us becoming generous. And uh, the question that's posed that Jesus says about the raven, he says, the raven leaves out in the morning. And he says, does the raven have the ability to reap and to sow? Does the ability, do they have the ability to take their food and store it up in vats and barns? And Jesus says, by no means, like they can't do that. And he says, yeah, I care for the raven day in and day out. I always make sure that when the raven gets up in the morning, it has plenty to eat. And then the questions posed that Jesus asked to his followers, he says, if I provide for the raven that way, how much more do you think I will provide for you because I love you? He goes, you are my creation created in my image. I have revealed myself and my character, a life-giving, life-transforming power, not only in creation, but ultimately in recreation. He says, how much more do I need to do? 
And then he talks about us being generous, but then he poses this, this statement at the very end of that entire text, which is a pretty good little text. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said something to me that's pretty stunning. And he says, for where your heart is or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, what? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the question then becomes is, if God is generous and we believe that to be so, and he establishes it not only in creation, but recreation and sending his son Jesus, as we embrace that concept and we embrace the gift of salvation in our lives, the question is, is what should that make of us? It should make us what? More generous. It should make us more of a life-giving agent. And here's why. Because generosity actually is a product of God. So let me just explain this to you. Is generosity possible in a life without God? Yes, but it's not probable. So generosity apart from a relationship with God is possible, but it's not probable. Why? Because we want to hold everything for ourselves. However, after experiencing the life-giving benefactor relationship with God, not only is generation, uh, or generosity possible, but it's actually inevitable. So once you have the experience of God, you with me? He lives in you. Not only does it become possible, it's actually inevitable. Let me explain this to you in this way. Um, in Luke chapter eight, you see this story and you see this story that most of you, if you've ever read it in your Bible, you passed over because you looked at it kind of a historical narrative and you thought, oh, that's great. They're going from town to town. But look at it in Luke chapter eight, verse one. It says, soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went on through cities and villages and he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. So meaning the disciples. So it was Jesus and his disciples. And they're going from place to place, town to town. And he's preaching and proclaiming the good news of God. And also there were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa. It says Chusa, not Chewbacca. I know you kind of look at it. Um, and you're like, Chusa? Where did that name come from? Yeah, I, I know. Uh, then you got... Uh, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others. And so you see this picture of Jesus is going from town to town. You've got the apostles and then you've got these other people and these other people are with them. And here's why, because they've experienced the generosity of God. Matter of fact, Mary Magdalene, if you remember her, if you were here at Easter, you, you heard her name brought up last week. And here's why, because she was the one who discovered that the tomb was empty. And so you got Mary Magdalene who said what? That there were seven evil spirits within her. And she was freed of that, then followed Jesus the rest of her life. And you know, even up until the death. What's interesting is too, in John chapter five, there's a woman that's sitting at the well and Jesus comes up to the well about the noon hour where most people didn't even gather. The women had already come and drawn water earlier in the day. They typically did that at the, uh, at, at the ninth hour, like nine in the morning. Well, here it was, she's sitting there at the well, drawing water at noon. And Jesus approaches her in John chapter five. And he says, hey, what are you doing? And she says, I'm drawing water from the well. And then he goes, well, where's your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, well, you're right to say that you don't have a husband. And she looks at him and is like, what do you mean? She's, he said, well, you've actually had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not actually your husband. And can you imagine just being stunned in silence? Like, oh my gosh, he just pegged me. 
Like, that's what Jesus does. You know what I mean? And so here it is, this lady who's at the well drawing water, has been married five times, and now has a live-in boyfriend. Well, most people would say that that lady at the well is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is a woman who gave her life to follow Jesus. And the question is, is why? Why is she going from place to place following him? And here's why. Because she experienced recreation. She experienced what Jesus had done for her. Now catch this. She is with a handful of other people following Jesus and the apostle from place to place, from place to place, from place to place. And you go, okay, that's great. Why are you even telling me this? Because the very last line of verse three in Luke eight says what? And many others who provided for them out of their own means. The reason that they're following Jesus around is not simply because he's a great teacher, although he was. It wasn't simply because he had given life transforming power, but he had. But the reason that they're following Jesus around is because that's where their treasure is. And their heart is there also. And so they're going from place to place. And Jesus said to himself, I'm the son of man and I have no place to lay my head. And any time Jesus, just as he fed 5,000 or 4,000 bread and fish, he could have said, hey man, go get that stone over there and I'll turn that into bread for us to eat. But he never did that. Why? Because there were people who had been changed. And what were they doing? They were spending their own money on the ministry of Jesus. And they were providing the opportunity for Jesus to continue in his ministry by providing out of their own means. Now, the question is, is why would they do that? And here's why. It's because they were revealing their heart. They had understood the heart of God in recreation, taking old and bringing it to new, taking broken and restoring it. And they decided we believe so much in the ministry of Jesus and reconciliation of lives that we're going to give our lives to this very thing. And giving their lives and their heart to it meant also they were going to what? Give their money to it. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine how many people have, have, have not even seen that in Luke chapter eight? And yet that's the heart of the giver. And here's why, because when you give, you're giving to life transformation and life giving power. Matter of fact, I'm going I'm to put some of you on the spot. And I don't mean to. It's going to be a little awkward at first. But I, I think if you'll help us with this, it would be absolutely amazing. In the very first service, I asked the same question. It was amazing to see the response. But if you're here at Stone Point, we're almost five years into this. And you would say that since Stone Point began, I have either received Christ. I have been baptized. Uh, baptized I've followed in believer's baptism. Um, I have been transformed by God's life-giving, life-changing freedom. Maybe you were once in addiction and now you've been set free through our regen ministry. But you would say without a doubt that, that God has used something here to change your whole life. Maybe you were once in debt financially and now because of our financial peace program, you're like, I'm out of debt. If your family has been changed as a result of God's life-transforming power here at Stone Point, I'm going to ask you to do something really weird, a little awkward, I know, but I would like for you to stand right where you are if you would say, that's definitely been me. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that worth giving a hand to? Amen. Okay, you can, you can be seated. Now, what's crazy is, is this. Why would you not want to give to that? Because if that's what God is doing in our midst, there's 
people's lives being changed all around you. Some being set free from addiction, some being set free from financial mismanagement. Like I literally had one couple who's sitting in this service that sent us a message about two weeks ago and said, because of financial peace two years ago, our family is entirely debt-free. And I'm like, that's what it's all about. It's, it's not just life-giving, like, oh, spiritual freedom. It's financial freedom. It's all of those things. And that's why we give is because of life-transforming power. Matter of fact, I can't think of a better text of life-transforming power than another story in Luke. I don't know, the theme is Luke today, okay? But Luke chapter 19, look at Luke chapter 19. You're going to run to a guy that I think all of us have heard about. Jesus, he, verse 1, entered into Jericho and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And I think it goes back to my childhood. Matter of fact, how many of y'all as children, like y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? Raise your hand. Yes, okay. Uh, so he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. In the Greek, what that meant was, is he was sorry, is basically what it meant, okay? And here's why, it's because he was stealing people's money and he had plenty of money to go around. And so that's not what it really says in the Greek, but that's kind of what I take of it in the text. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. He was a wee little man, right? Yes, y'all remember? A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Yes. Okay. So yeah, 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 yeah. we're good. But, but then, like, that's the story. Like it, it just brings back just moments of nostalgia, you know, like, oh, those are the good times, right? Animal crackers, juice, and Zacchaeus. <laughs> and he wanted to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, after he climbed up in the tree, he said, I'm going to your house today. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like? Like, I mean, here it is among all these people who were following Jesus, all these people who had given to support. I mean, think about it. All the people that we read about in Luke chapter eight who were following and giving, give Zacchaeus an opportunity to even climb up into a, a sycamore tree. And he climbs up in a sycamore tree just to make sure he catches a glimpse. And as he's catching a glimpse of Jesus, he walks by, Jesus stops and he says, hey, Zacchaeus didn't ask him his name, just knew it. He said, I'm going to your house today. And I don't know about you, but anytime that you talk about Jesus and life-giving transformation and generosity, there's always a handful of naysayers, you know? Like there's a handful of people and, and you're here and we're so grateful that you're here. I'm so pumped that you're joining us today. But your natural inclination, when you start talking about any of this stuff, you're like, oh, he's about to bait and switch you. Here it is. Oh, I get it. They're going to talk about money. All you want is my money. And the whole point of the whole thing is like, oh, you're going to give a couple of cute little illustrations. And the whole point of it is so that you can manipulate us into giving our money to you so that you can build a bigger house and you can have more acreage and blah, 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 blah. And you're the naysayer. And you think, well, naysayers don't really exist. Yes, they do. Matter of fact, look in the text. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down from and stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. Underline that in your Bible, received him joyfully. And as he receives him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. Oh, he's going to go to the house of that guest, or, you know, that sinner. Oh yeah, he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house. Oh, nice. What a, what a, what a good ministry. Man, you're really setting an example. And you hear the grumbling and the complaining in the crowds. And I'll, I'll tell you, that in every church, there's always a handful of people that you 
you see it, man, half glass empty. It's, I, I, no, it, it's not life change. It's manipulation. Man, I, I bet you, I bet you anything he had, I bet you he called those people and had them stand. <laughs> I know. You're like, that seems silly, right? To the steps that you would go to, to manipulate people. And, and that's not our heart. But there's always people that you have that thought process. And, but I want you to see Zacchaeus. He says, and he received him joyfully. And what that means is, is that as Jesus spoke to him, Zacchaeus said, I'm following him. And he didn't know why. He didn't have all the answers, but he said, I receive him joyfully. And then behold, he goes to his house and Zacchaeus stands there and he says what? I'm going to give half of my goods that I have to the poor. And I have defrauded some people. And if anybody that I've defrauded, I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house since he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. See, Zacchaeus, he gave his life and, and heart to Jesus Christ. And the response when he received him joyfully was what? Take it. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away to people in need, but I'm also going to give it away to people that I have scammed, that I, I were, I'm sorry because I was sorry. And here's the interesting thing is that there's many of us in here, we're pondering like, oh, the generous thing. I bet you anything that he's going to talk to us about a tithe. And I'm like, yes, you're right. Actually, that's coming next week. Okay. And then there's the old question like, okay, well, what do we tithe on the gross or the net? Well, why do we really tithe? Because in the tithe under the law, and now don't we live under grace? Well, I'll ask you, what do you want to live under law or grace? Because grace in the New Testament, although Jesus does speak one time and he supports the tithe in his speaking, New Testament, actually, you see Jesus do something kind of unique. And that is he takes an Old Testament law and he expounds on it. He actually makes it more difficult. For instance, adultery, like in the adultery in the Old Testament, hey, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so you think of fair, but in the New Testament, he says, and even if you look at a woman with your eyes and you have adultery within your heart, you see, he took an Old Testament concept and he added, look at, look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't say, man, Jesus, man, you came to my house. I've experienced it and received you joyfully. I'm going to give you 10%. No, what did he do? He gave half away. And so look, the, the idea and the notion is, is, okay, what's right, what's wrong? I'm going to give you a picture of that. But what I want you to understand is this. The reason that we give is because it gives us life-giving transformation, not only to ourselves, but it allows us to see that happen in other people. And isn't that what it's about? It is for me. And so I'll tell you that never a point in this series are we going to manipulate you, never a point in this series are we going to ask for something from you. Like our goal is not to get you to give us more money because the bottom line is God's got this candled. And we believe that from day one when we had nothing, we still don't have much and that's okay. But it hasn't stopped us from seeing transformation, life-giving power. It hasn't stopped us from doing what we need to do. And we're gonna trust that that's what God wants us to do. And that's fine. But I do want you to think about it like this. Let's say that um, I were to pick three men in this room. And all three men, I said, okay, starting at the first of the year, I'm going to give you $10,000 a month. 
I'm going to go away for a year, but while I'm gone, I need you to take out of that $10,000 a month, and I need you to make sure that my wife has $1,000 every month to make sure that she has her needs taken care of and the needs of our kids. And I look you straight in the face, and I say, is that too much to ask? And you say, no, no, no. You're going to give me $10,000. So let me make sure I got this right. You're going to give me $10,000, and all I have to do at the very first of the month is write your wife a $1,000 check. Yes. Was that hard? No. But you're like, that sounds crazy. But I go, that's all I want you to do. Can you do that? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. So three months into it, I call my wife and I'm like, hey, hadn't talked to you in a while. I love you guys. I can't wait to be home. Um, There's a lot of awesome things happening over here, but I needed to check in on those three men I gave gave money to. Are they doing what they said they would do? So tell me about man number one. And she goes, hey, he he is spot on. The first day of the month, he writes me a $1,000 check every single month. Awesome, thanks. What about man number two? She said, well, did you tell them to do different things? And I was like, no, the, the, the instructions were the exact same. Well, whatever it is about this, this second man, he doesn't write me $1,000. He actually writes me a $2,000 check every single month. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And I said, well, what about man number three? She said, well, man number three, it's kind of been a little bit spotty and a little bit shaky here lately. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Well, first month he gave me $800. Last month he wrote me a check for $300. And this month's come and gone. And we just are, are approaching April and he hasn't given me anything for March. Awesome. So let me ask you a question. As her husband, what am I going to do? I'm going to take the money from what? Man number three. You think I'm going to give it to man number one? No, because man number one is doing exactly what I want. But here's what I noticed. In man number two, he has a love for the exact same things that I love. And he's doing more and more for my family than I ever asked. Why? Because he loves me and he loves my family. And so I'm going to take the money from number three, who obviously doesn't love the things, and he's taking advantage of me, and I'm going to give them to man number two. Why? Because I trust that man number two is going to do more with it than the other two men combined. Sounds similar to the parable of the talents in the New Testament, where one hoards it, and Jesus says, no, I don't want you to go bury it in the ground. I want you to use it to bless people. And so the premise is, is this, why do we be generous? The reason we're generous is because it reveals the heart and the nature of God. But I'll tell you, like, y'all know, like, there's a handful of us. I don't know that I can say this in here, but I'm going to. Um, Like, when we started talking about money and finances, like, your butt just puckered up. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about? Like, in your seat, like, you just kind of got a little bit, like, squirmish. You're like, oh, here we go. Yes, yes, I know. I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. But here's why. Here's why. It's because as you look back over the course of your life, when you look at generosity and what you've been taught, you've actually seen a handful of different theories, approaches to giving. There's one that you've heard and maybe it was pounded on you that you've got to give. You got to give. If you don't give, then our church isn't going to keep growing. If, if you don't give, we're not going to have a comfortable chair for everybody to sit in. If you don't give, man, we're not going to pull off the edge with campus. If you don't give, if you don't give, and you almost have felt guilted into giving, and you think, man, if I don't give, then our church is going to close down next week. 
And that's what you, and so you think, man, I can't go buy my new kids, some tennis, my kids, some new tennis shoes. Cause if I don't give over here, then, and, and so you've kind of thought that there's some other ones though, that like you've kind of, in a sense, you've manipulated God. Like you think, oh, okay. I give to get, and that's the approach. And there's a handful of pastors in our country that that's the approach that they're taking. Like almost going to as far as saying, hey, how much income do you want to have from God this month? Well, write that tithe check for that amount and he's going to bless you tenfold. And that's the give to get mentality. Like in some ways we can manipulate the heart of God. Matter of fact, you would go, well, Brandon, the, the illustration that you just said, doesn't that kind of back it up that you would take your money away from the person who wasn't doing what you wanted to do and then give it to them? And the answer is no, not, not actually. And here's why. Because there are certain blessings that God gives everyone. Matter of fact, in Matthew, you see that Jesus says that what? He allows the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. It means it doesn't matter how sorry of a guy you are. If you look like Zacchaeus before transformation power, he still got rain on his crops. But the thing is, is did Zacchaeus experience everything that God wanted him to? No. And so the blessing is not like, oh, do I write this check? Do I give to get? No. Not in the manipulation because your heart's wrong. And so before you've ever done anything, you've already tried to manipulate God. And so God's not going to bless you anyway. Does that make sense? You're like, you know, I think you just confused me thoroughly, actually. So if you don't, if you don't got to give and you shouldn't give to get something to manipulate God, then why do we give? It's because we get to. We get to be a part of it. Like God invites us into it. And essentially what God wants to teach us through this series is, as I've given you everything you have, I've given you the ability to work for it. I've given you the hands to labor for it. I've given it to you. And yes, I would like to see you use it wisely. It's called stewardship. And that's what we're going to talk about in the generosity series. But I want you to know that no point in this series are we going to teach the first two theories. You don't got to. It's not a salvation issue. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to go, to, you know, you're not going to be left out of heaven because you don't give. We're not going to give and we're not going to say at any point in the series, hey, I want you to write the check this month and we're going to trust God that he's going to do everything. Although he does give us great promises about giving to him and the blessings. Matter of fact, it's the one thing in scripture that he allows us to test him on and that is giving to him. But the deal is, is this, I think our mindset for so long has been off because we actually, because of seeing God's heart revealed to us, we get to align ourselves, put our treasure in our heart where his heart is. And we got to what? Have an opportunity to be a part of life-changing, life-giving transformation. And we get to do that. It's a privilege to do that. And my point to you is simply this. When we do that, we reveal exactly who God is in us. And so I want you to know that we don't ever want you to give because you feel like you're paying your membership dues. Sit in a country club, you know? We want you to give because you want to give. Ironically, I was having a conversation with someone just a second ago, and I said, you know, it's the same that's true for serving. There are some of us in here that we feel like we've got to serve. And I apologize that if we've ever given you that inclination at Stone Point that you've got to serve, you've got to serve, and man, our kids' ministry is going to implode if you don't serve, then it's wrong. Matter of fact, I think part of the high turnover rate that we have is maybe because that's the mentality that people have. I've got to do this. i got to do this. i got to. But if Actually, the people who are benefiting the most, who you feel the most refreshed, as the proverb says, he who refreshes others, he himself will be refreshed. 
are not the ones who they feel like they've got to or the fact that they, they serve or they give because God's gonna give back to them, but it's the ones who say, I get to do this. I get to spend time with first graders today. Man, I get to invest this next hour with a bunch of two and three-year-olds. Those are the ones who you leave and you're like, my heart is full. And for the rest of us who we have lived and died by the other two approaches, we leave and we're frustrated and we're like, man, I'm ready to turn in my resignation next week. These kids are crazy. <laughs> News. All kids are crazy. <laughs> Why? Because you're kids. But what would it look like as we approach our five-year anniversary if we became a church who says, I get to give. I get to serve. I get to be a part of life change. What a blessing, God, that you would allow me to take my story and use it in the lives of other people. God, you redeemed me. You take my broken life. You made it new. And now you're letting me do this? God, what an awesome God that you would allow me to be a part of the story. And that's a part of it. And that's what ministry is all about, is that we get to do it. We get to be a part of it. And uh, I'm just inviting you that you would be praying about how do I get to be a part of this story? H how do I get to be a part of it? God, what, what do you want me to give? Because I'll tell you the most generous people in the world, they don't ask the question that so many of us ask. God, what do I have to give? But we ask a different question if you're generous. And that is, God, what part do I get to keep? You see it? God, what part do I have to give? And so for so many of you, your joy is sucked right out of your life, out of your vocation, out of your ministry, out of your serving because you're asking the wrong question. God, what do I get to do? What do you want me to keep and what do you want me to give away? And so my prayer is God would just move us towards that because there's a lot of lives that still need to be changed in Vincent County. And I know that I really believe that there's one church in this entire county that can make that possible through the life transformation and the hope of Jesus Christ. And I believe with all my heart that it's Stone Point Church. And my prayer is that you would join me on this incredible journey as even I look, and even as Kelly and I have conversations about, maybe I think we need to stop asking the wrong question because I'll tell you and confess to you that we've asked the wrong question too. And so God's working on us because I'm not most generous. And matter of fact, I would think that today when you said, Who's the most generous person in the room? You didn't say Pastor Brandon. And so what's that look like for us? And may we trust God to get us there. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this morning. And I pray, God, that you would really work and mold us and shape us into being the type of people that you want us to be. That, God, we would reveal the heart and the character of God in our life giving. I pray that our approach would not be to manipulate you. It would not be because we have to, but simply because we get to be a part of the story. And so, Father, help us as we shift our mentality, our mind from having to do something to getting to do something. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the biblical concept of giving and being generous as we approach this, because it is uh, the fact that there are many biblical concepts and there are many conversations that are difficult for us to have. But I pray that us knowing the basis of and the foundation of generosity today will help us as we approach your word and allow you to teach us with your spirit what's right. In Jesus' name, amen.